This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver. The area we now call Rhino was once a dusty industrial street dotted with warehouses where some of the most interesting musicians in the city were meeting and creating and making no money at all. Fast forward 20 years, most of the artists are gone, but the money is finally showing up. So today I'm talking with my old pal John Wenzel at the Denver Post about the big new music businesses rising on Brighton Boulevard. Today is Wednesday, May 3rd. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. John Wenzel, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thank you so much for having me. So, John, I feel like this could be a little bit of a loaded question, but I would love for you to tell me what is happening on Brighton Boulevard. So many things. Um, <laughs> as as a long timer, you know, it's long been a space for creatives, people who want to do interesting things. And now there's so much money there. So it's kind of what's always been happening along Brighton Boulevard, but um, it's just with tons of money and developers involved and a really clear, unified vision to make it this commercial entertainment district, but specifically in the music world. And I want to talk about that idea of the district in a minute. But you, you're, you're sort of painting this picture, maybe for folks that don't know, Brighton Boulevard was this industrial strip, like kind of leading out of the city. But like you're saying, there's, there's money and development there. So tell me about who's interested in, and who are these big money music people? What's going on? So they're already there and they're, they're getting bigger. Um, Victrola, the 117-year-old turntable maker, well, the brand anyway, the, the business has died and been revived, but um, they make their turntables in China, but they want to start making more here. And their world headquarters are here and they're opening up a 100,000 square foot warehouse north of town. Vinyl Me Please is there. This is the vinyl subscription service, record club of the month, essentially. They've been based here for a while, but they're opening a 14,000 square foot new record pressing plant, state of the art. Um, AEG Presents, Rocky Mountains, the mega promoter um, who, you know, gives Live Nation a run for their money in most places and dominates here. And uh, Mission Ballroom, which is uh, a giant, fancy new venue that AEG built and owns. You're someone that's covered this music scene for a long time. Were you surprised to hear that a, a company like Victrola and I mean, in the fact that Vinyl Me Please wants to build a record press here, was that surprising to you? Yes and no. And I know <laughs> that's one of those classic, I want I want to have my answer both ways. But <laughs> yes, because it didn't seem like Rhino, as an art district, had matured to this point where everything was starting to get so synergistic and, you know, whatever. No, because, you know, the connections in this town that tend to create these sorts of districts and these sorts of partnerships are only getting stronger for better or worse. Mm. And what do you mean by that? 
I mean that, you know, AEG has its hands in so many things. They have so many connections and relationships. And some of this is as, as a result of this. The Victrola president, Scott Hagen, said to me, CEO, that is, you know, that he had these talks with AEG and so did Vinyl Me Please. And they were part of the reason they came. Chuck Morris, uh, CEO emeritus of AEG Presents Rocky Mountains, basically laid out the welcome mat for Victrola. And uh, it wasn't the only reason. It wasn't maybe even the main reason, but there's there's just a lot of cross traffic and benefits here. Sure, sure. And, you know, folks will know AEG because chances are if they bought tickets to go to an event, they're going through AEG. This is the promoter. But it, like you're saying, they also do a lot of other things. So like how festivals operate here in, in Denver, if they have their hands in those, that is a whole other economy unto itself. But, you know, I have to say, I, I struggle with understanding how this looks to the outside person, because to us, you and me, it makes sense. We've been in bands. We've covered music here for a long time. Like, sure, our music scene is super vibrant and interesting, and we draw acts from all over the world, and we have. But maybe someone in California might go, why did Denver? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why Denver? I don't know. How do you how do you see this in the timeline of our arts world? Well, I think it's. I think it's a landmark. I think it's a strengthening and it's an escalation of the infrastructure, the import of all these things. But outside of all the, you know, business jargon terms, I think they just found it attractive. You know, Vinyl Me Please already had operations here and I think they got probably a good deal. Uh, I have asked and not been given super specific answers on this, but, you know, I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that they're right across the street from AEG. And, you know, the Victrola CEO told me when they were looking at places, they almost went into Brooklyn. And this just made so much more sense from a cost perspective. It's a city people want to live in. So it's just very attractive. Now, we might laugh and roll our (laughs) eyes about that because we know that when Brighton Boulevard was an industrial commercial type district, that's when it was the most interesting um, from an underground, you know, do-it-yourself sort of creative perspective. So, you know, they say it's because it's attractive, and and frankly, it is financially, culturally. But I think the broad view from the music scene, as, as, as you might agree too, you know, this is just a culmination of what has been happening in this town for 20, 25 years. But once the Larimer Lounge opened over there, it just felt like it was off to the races. Yeah, yeah, that really opened up the doors for people to be paying more attention to Denver in certain ways. And you, again, you and I were going to shows at the Larimer Lounge when it first opened. And I think about like Arcade Fire came through there, like really big mm-hmm. acts did. And, and that's kind of where I, I have to be honest, I have a little complicated feelings about that and uh, AEG in the neighborhood. Because like you said, Rhinoceropolis and, and the venues before at Revoluciones and these other places did that work to build the buzz that made Brighton Boulevard interesting yeah. to people. Right. And I don't want to undermine the fact that... Um, Rhinoceropolis exists today as a space called Scorpio Palace. That's Glob right. is right next door. They are still throwing shows. So these spaces still exist, but there's miles between that scene and what AEG is booking at Mission Ballroom. Like, yeah. do you think this was just like AEG saw what was coming in terms of real estate, right? This is the right spot. Or do you think that they were tuned into that fact that this is also where art was being made? I think it's a little of both. And, and, you know, you're right that when we talk a lot about AEG and promoters and the business side of this, it can seem a little arcane. I mean, it even feels a little arcane to me sometimes. But, you know, from the consumer perspective, 
what they have done, their dominance in this market has resulted in so many shows. There are so many shows around here. You know, all the ticketing stuff aside, I do think a lot of music fans have benefited. But um, it's not just David and Goliath. It's like all or nothing. So it's it's just a very charged atmosphere. There's a lot of money. But um, I mean, eventually, I, I do think it will benefit people. But in what way? Like people on scooters, tourists who are like high out of their minds trying to not get hit by cars? <laughs> or are we really going to have like you know, solid, sustainable pedestrian traffic going to hang out at the Vinyl Me Please listening lounge slash bar. Um, I don't know. So in your piece, you say that like boosters of this idea are calling this, quote, Denver's new music district. And I have to be honest, John, that makes me shudder a little bit because when districts are labeled and these things happen, sometimes that sort of sucks the magic right out because it just I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's a weird phenomenon. But what do you think they mean when they say Denver's next music district? I think they mean vertical integration. I think they mean you can see shows here. There's behind-the-scenes management and promotion and booking. There's the manufacturer of music. There's the retail sale. And, and Victrola doesn't have a retail operation there right now, but um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some stop-in showroom type thing coming. So you kind of get everything there. Now, you know, when I think of a music district, I think of South Broadway. I think of like Same. Ellsworth and South Broadway, and I think of the Bluebird District. So, you know. What does that mean? Is it like the 14th Street Theater District, which the folks over there just kind of came up with and <laughs> and just instituted and said, you all have to start agreeing with this? And actually, it's kind of stuck, which pissed off a lot of other people in the theater world who are like, hey, we're a theater district. This is a theater district. Yeah. Now, you know, in the media, I'm, I am also helping propagate that idea uh, by using that terminology, putting it in the headline. And that's partially because I think it's legit. I do think it's going to become a music district, and I do think it deserves to be called that. But, you know, will it horn in on other people? Will it um, overlap, take some steam away from others? I I don't see how it can't hurt other areas, but, you know, that... That's extremely speculative. It's like, how, you know, how's South Broadway going to fare? It's like, I don't know. Maybe they're their own worst enemy sometimes. So we'll see. <laughs> I think there is room for both. I think if you, if anybody that's been down South Broadway and then been down Brighton Boulevard, the vibes are totally different. Yeah. I think there'll be a lot of crossover in audience and people that are interested in those things. But it's like, I could see South Broadway being the where the artists go and where you go to meet people and the festivals and the venues. And then this is more of the like industrial, uh, the back inside of being a music listener and a music lover. I mean, obviously Mission Ballroom is right over there, but if you're somebody that this is like the place where you go to learn about how records are made. I don't know. It's just, it's so different, but I feel you. I think it just remains to be seen. Maybe we just, we yeah, can't I mean, know. It's, <laughs> it's the sausage factory in a way. And people who want to feel like they're getting that view of the industry can go there, even though it's kind of they're showing you what you want to see. At the same time, like, what else is like this? Not just in the city or the state, but regionally. You know, this massive vinyl plant that's about to open, the world headquarters of an ancient, still vital record manufacturer, and the company that books 150-plus concerts at Red Rocks per year, in addition to hundreds of others. Like, that's pretty unique. And you don't have to endorse the business at play behind it to recognize 
the power of that and how it could influence and attract other players to the periphery of that. So to wrap up, I want to talk about vinyl, which seems to me to be driving some of these big changes. Um, John, how do you see Vinyl Me Please specifically fitting into the context of this resurgence? Yeah, so they they are, you know, in some ways a classic record of the month club. Their founders have talked about how in the 80s and 90s, you could belong to the BMG or, you know, other label cassette clubs, get... <laughs> you know, eight albums for a nickel or whatever. So in some ways, this is an update of that. In other ways, it's a really like smart, curated, high level revisitation of music. And it it broadens and opens up collecting in some ways, I think, to different genres. They're not as raucous and judgy and elitist about pop, about, you know, music outside the US. So it, it's really opened up a lot of interesting listening to not just collectors, but this huge mass market of vinyl now. Vinyl sales outstripped CD sales last year for the first time since 1988, uh, which is insane. And good insane, I think. But there's not a lot of places that press records. There's huge demand. And when this place opens, this Vinyl Me Please record pressing plant, uh, they want to have a lounge, they want to have a performance area, and they want to pick up the slack globally. There's a huge delay and huge demand in vinyl pressing that is not being met. And they're poised to make a million and a half, two million records a year once they get up and running this summer. That stat about CDs is like crazy to think about, but it also like strikes me as this kind of music technology that's come and gone. And I don't know, I think we're really talking about consumer behavior, which we know is fickle. But what do you think? Do you think that this surge in vinyl is like a fad or is this like the wave of the future? I don't know. I think sometimes fads are just, you know, what we call the tip of the cycle during that part of the cycle. And sometimes they're just arrows that just go through a paper target and you never see them again. My sense personally is that this is maybe part of a cycle and we're at the top part of it and maybe it'll go go down at some point again in the future. But I don't think this is going to crash and burn. I don't think we're going to go back to the days where we feel like we have everything we need physically and physical media to help burnish our identities. A lot of people have record players, turntables, record collections as part of who they are. It's, 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 you know, it's a costume. It's, it's yeah. a showpiece. It's, it's a lot of things. No, I love the thought though, because I think that there's going to be, diff- there's different kinds of listeners, just like there's different kinds of collectors. And so you might have that person that has to buy every single record that comes out from this label or whatever. And then you might have the person that's like, I really enjoyed listening to this album on vinyl. It sounded good. I might buy another one. But I love that. Also, you said that Victrola, like, they make it accessible by having a $100 record player with the Bluetooth capabilities. Like, all the things that you would want your, you know, our kids, that's going to be a great entry point for them, right? Here's your own record player. It's I, I think that the beginnings are there, but I, I, I am with you. We we have no idea. I mean, I, I tried to run a tape label in the early in the mid 2000s. You know what I mean? It was like there were soup people that were super into it. But it's just I don't know. There's a lot of possibility here. And um, I'm excited. I'm cautiously excited. I'll say that. Yeah, I think I think vinyl collector culture is the base of the current vinyl revival, but I don't think it's all of what the vinyl revival is. I think what we're seeing now is a, is a mainstream market, a mass market. 
And, but like you said, um, we're building that into the next generation too. You know, your kid, my kids, they're going to see these turntables, these records and think my parents had that. Even if they go in another direction and reject it, it might be attractive again in their 20s or 30s or, you know what I mean? Like people who've never had physical media to hold on to, to feel uh, connected to, to run their fingers over those covers and look at the lyrics and appreciate the art in a big format. That's still novel yes. in this, you know, streaming age of everything. Like that's, God, I sound so old saying that, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. And if it does, it's not going to go away entirely again. John Wetzel, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Governor Jared Polis's signature housing and land use bill. After the bill was watered down to almost nothing over the past couple of weeks, many of us thought Polis's big priority for the session was dead. But it's back. Two of the original advocates, Representative Stephen Woodrow and Iman Joda, have introduced a couple of amendments in the House to keep the debate going. According to CPR, they are specifically hoping to force cities to allow accessory dwelling units or granny flats in certain areas and to mandate certain cities, including Denver, to allow greater housing density in key transit corridors. The legislature is in its final week of the session, though, so we'll see. And finally... We want to talk about one of Colorado's greatest stereotypes, the Subaru. Personally, I love my Subaru and I don't have anything bad to say about it. But certain people are saying that the Subaru is no longer king in Colorado, if it ever was. So we want to hear from you. Do you love your Subaru? Do all the Subarus drive you nuts? And what does the Subaru stereotype mean to you? The Subaru hotline is officially open. Text or leave us a voicemail at 720-500-5418. Again, that Subaru hotline is 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell former AEG CEO and President Chuck Morris about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. If all of this is boring to you, it's because it is. The legislature is in its final week of the session. And thank God it's almost summertime. School's out forever.